we're walking through the book of Jonah. Today is chapter four, part four of the story. And I'm not going to be able to share everything that we've talked about the last few weeks. If you're interested, I, I, I hope that you can find those online on our church website and listen to the other parts of the message. But I do, I know that, that we, I've repeated every week, but there's a couple of things that just have to be said, especially for some of you that are here today for the first time in this series. It's easy for us to think about the story of Jonah as a fairy tale. We've heard it so often, it's so common, it's, it's, it's in books that, that would make us think that it's a fairy tale. It's, it's the number one children's story that we, come, that we read out of the Bible. It would be easy for us to think that, but we have to jump into the story. Even today, in chapter 4 and part 4, you have to jump into the story knowing that it is 100% totally true, completely accurate. It's so true. In fact, we know this because Jesus ties his resurrection in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, three nights, I too will be in the earth. And he ties his resurrection to the story of Jonah. He doesn't say like the story that you know of Jonah. He says, just like Jonah was, I will be. The hope of the book of Jonah that God will show kindness to his enemies. And every week, we've looked at chapter 4, verse 2. That's where we're headed today. Where Jonah says to God, You are a gracious God. You are merciful. You are slow to anger. And you are abounding in steadfast love. The hope of the book of Jonah is that God does, in fact, show kindness to his enemies. And we've looked at it now in, in three different parts, in three different acts. Act 1 was the story of how how everyone was trusting in their own efforts. Jonah was trusting in his own efforts. The sailors were trusting in their own efforts. They worked hard to accomplish their own task, what they wanted to do. They looked to their own idols in the moments of hardship until there was nowhere else for them to go. Act two was Jonah being thrown over and hitting rock bottom. We talked about literally hitting rock bottom when God would send a rescue. And eventually, finally, slowly, Jonah becomes grateful for that rescue. And then last week, Act 3, was the story of Jonah going to the Ninevites. And it started with God giving Jonah, coming to him a second time, giving him another instruction. And we talked last week about how God continues to give us second chances. Gave Jonah a second chance. Gave the Ninevites a second chance. God did not pour out his wrath on the Ninevites for their sin, but instead relented at the end of chapter 3. God relents. God waits to pour out his wrath. It's not that he doesn't do it. It's that he does it on Jesus instead. And so, we come to chapter 4. Each week we've ended with the question, what will Jonah do now? Last week God relented. God does not do what he said he would do. That's how chapter 3 ends. He does not pour out his wrath on the Ninevites. What will Jonah do now as we move in to chapter 4? Chapter 4, I believe, is the unknown chapter of the story of Jonah. It's the unknown chapter. All of us, all of us know the first three. It's, it's so clean in the first three. Jonah gets instructions from God. Jonah runs. Jonah 
gets on a boat to try to sail away. Jonah gets thrown over. The fish gobbles him up, spits him out on land. Jonah finally relents and, and, and does what God's called him to do. He goes to the Ninevites, and the Ninevites hear the story, and the Ninevites all repent. Even the animals repent in the story. And God does not do what he said he would do. He does not pour out his wrath on the Ninevites. That would be an unbelievable story if that was the end, if Jonah was three chapters. It's so clean. It's so good. Everyone believes. Everybody repents. God relents. The Ninevites are saved. Jonah does what he's supposed to do. The message from God is brought through the reluctant prophet, and God saves the day. If that was the end of the story, it would be quite a story. And oftentimes, in those children's books where we could possibly think this might be a fairy tale, that is where the story ends. But there's one more chapter in Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade for his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But, Jonah said, but God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he, Jonah, said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. What does Jonah do now is the question at the end of chapter 3. And chapter 4 says... But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What does Jonah do now? He's displeased. Not just a little bit, not just a little bit frustrated. Exceedingly displeased and angry. And he says to God, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country, that this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life, 
It's better for me to die than it is to live. Our question has to be, what does Jonah do now? And our question has to be, what is going on in Jonah? We, we read the story, it's fairy tale like It's unbelievable. Jonah has had this awesome story. I tried to do it on my own, but it didn't work. I was thrown overboard. I thought I was going to die. The weeds were wrapped around my throat, he says in chapter 2. I was faint and it was over. But a fish gobbled me up. It was a horrible experience, but God rescued me. God spit me out. I followed the plan that God had for me. I came to Nineveh. I declared the message that God told me to declare and everyone repented. You would think that Jonah's response in that moment would be, woohoo, this is unbelievable. But instead, exceedingly displeased and angry. What is going on in Jonah? Why does he react in this way? Because, as often is the case, our reaction betrays our actions. Our reaction often betrays our actions. The things that Jonah has done to this point tell one story, but chapter 4 tells a different story. His reaction to what has happened tells a different story even than the actions that he had, which his actions weren't all that great in chapters 1, 2, and 3. But his reaction really tells us what's going on in Jonah or begins to tell us what's going on in Jonah. Jonah's actions, praying from the belly of the beast, preaching to the Ninevites, following in God's steps that he had planned for him, all of those actions don't accurately portray Jonah's heart. So, what's going on in Jonah? I think there's a couple of things that we can, can see as we read through this story that we can begin to understand if we place ourselves in there. Some things that are going on in Jonah's heart. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you a couple of things that I think might be going on in Jonah's heart that we should connect with and might want to be aware of. And then we're going to look at what is God's response to what's going on in Jonah's heart. What are some things that we can observe that are happening in Jonah that might cause this reaction? His exceedingly dissatisfied, his, his anger, his exceeding pleasure. I think the first thing that we can see or assume from what we read in this story is that Jonah probably is exhausted, both physically and spiritually. As we read the story, you know all the things that Jonah has gone through. He's journeyed a long way. Even as the fish spit him back out on land, he had a long journey to get to Nineveh. All of these things are happening, and and they're all beginning to pile up on him. He has endured a number of things, and they have probably wiped him out. He's exhausted. And he's experiencing a ministry hangover from all the things that have happened. Ministry's hard. And you guys, if you've been around the church for very long, you know, you know that ministry's hard. You, you, you can picture this idea of the ministry hangover that Jonah's having. I, I for sure can totally understand what's happening with Jonah. 
there are moments, especially where you, where you have lots of, of back-to-back things in, in, in summers, especially when we would, would, would go to youth camps and mission trips and Bible school, and you would have all of those things back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back, and, you, and, you're, and you're spending all this energy, both emotional energy and spiritual energy, and you're pouring it all out, and there comes a time where you just are overwhelmed by your exhaustion. And you feel that in your heart. It's pretty common even in Scripture. It's not just my story. It's pretty common in Scripture. Prophet Jeremiah at one point says, Cursed is the day that my father heard he, was, he had a son. Because he's so worn out he wants to die. Elijah does the same thing. Elijah has this great confrontation and fire pours out of heaven and he runs away, flees for his life and he crawls under the bush and he says, I just want to die. There's this hangover after these unbelievable experiences. And you know it too. I know a number of you, especially I know my clubhouse teachers that help me on Wednesday nights. You guys... I know, we've talked about it. You have Thursday morning hangovers, oftentimes. Because ministry is hard. God's called us to a duty and a, and a, and a job, a ministry, that wears us out. Joan, I think, was exhausted. In fact, I think this is even why God's first response to Jonah, he asks him the question, but the first thing that God does, as you read through chapter four, is God gives a, a giant plant, a leaf, to cover Jonah to help him to rest, to help him recuperate. Now, this leaf has other parts to the story as well, but I think that God is helping Jonah to overcome his exhaustion. It's not just tiredness, though, for Jonah, there's a spiritual battle. That goes on here as well. When this revival begins to break out in Nineveh, there's a spiritual battle as well. Satan hates revival. And again, you you can see this in your own life. You can picture some of these things in your own life. But in Scripture, we see it over and over, especially in the New Testament. If you read through the Gospels, if you read through Jesus' story of his life, when something unbelievably great and grand and glorious would happen... They would turn around, and the next story, almost always, not always, but almost always, the next story is a confrontation with Satan or with a demon-possessed person. There's, there's these highs, and then there's these lows. And Satan is at work in those moments because of these things. He knows we're tired. He knows we're worn out. He knows there's an exhaustion. He knows some of these other things that we're about to talk about. He knows what's going on in our hearts and our souls, and so he takes those moments to fight against us. There's a spiritual and a supernatural battle. And so in those moments when you are exceedingly displeased and angry, and you begin to look at what's going on in your heart, could it be exhaustion? Do you just need to rest? Could it be a supernatural, spiritual battle with the one who is roaming the earth looking for someone to devour? There's another thing that's happening, though, in in Jonah here too, and I have not touched on it much in this story. But the truth is that Jonah 
He hated the Ninevites. They were, they were the enemies of the Israelites. He hated the Ninevites because they were his enemy. But Jonah also has some prejudice. And, and, and all the commentators, almost all the commentators that I've been reading these last few weeks have touched on this several times. Jonah, he doesn't like the Ninevites. It's not just that they're enemies, that they're battling for the same land, those kinds of things. Jonah believes that he is better than they are. And he has some prejudice that's built up in his heart. They're not just enemies, but he doesn't like them. He's on one side. They're on the other side. It's an us versus them kind of thing with Jonah. And sometimes, sometimes when our hearts begin to get exceedingly displeased, when our hearts begin to have anger, it's because we're caught up in this idea that there's an us versus them. There's defined lines. There's, there's we're on the right side and everyone else is on the wrong side. And you know as well as I do that. And today, today in our society right now, we are becoming a society that is more and more polarized all the time. Us versus them. And that begins to lodge in us and build up in us. And we do not have eyes that can see across that line. Jonah was in the same boat. He was tired. He was exhausted. Satan was beginning to battle him. And there was this whole thing of how could God do that to them? All of those things are true, I believe. And all of those things are true for us many times. But... Jonah's problem, Jonah's issue, what's going on in his heart is full out sin and selfishness. Sin and selfishness. And we can talk about some of these other things and I think that they're important. That's why I didn't gloss over them today. It's important that sometimes we're tired. It's important that sometimes Satan is just orchestrating things, trying to battle against us, against the orchestration that God is doing to work all things together for his good. Sometimes that's true. Oftentimes that's true. But sin and selfishness, the innate sin and selfishness that we have inside of our heart is the true battle. I talk about this often. Many of you who, have, who, who I have had the privilege of marrying, when we go through premarital counseling, we have a whole session that we talk about demands on marriage. Some of it comes from the questionnaire that you filled out. Some of it comes from some other things that we've studied but we go through a whole list. We talk about all the things that are hard on marriage. Not all the things. That would take forever. We talk about many of the things that are difficult in marriage. We talk about children and intimate relationships and money and all of those things that are, that are demands on our marriage. And we talk through lots of them. We talk through some helpful strategies for those things. And then, if you've been in that session with me, you know this. I say every time, all of these things are true. But the number one thing, the number one issue that you're going to have in your marriage is sin and selfishness. You're going to want your own way. And all of those other things can be summed up in that. We are sinners. We want our own way. We, we, we always, unless God helps us, we always respond in that way. And it's sin. 
And we have to fight it. And yes, there's other things that go along with it. The prejudice and Satan and tired, all of those things. All those things are true. They're factors in what's happening. But you and I have hearts that want our own way. You and I want to rebel against the, the places and plans that God has for us. And our response many times is sinful. Jonah's response in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, is sinful. And he does a number of things to try to, to make it seem like it's not. He even tries to use God's own good qualities against him. I knew, God, that you were going to do this because you're a gracious God and merciful. You're slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. I knew that you would try to do this to my enemies. He tries to twist it, but it's sin. It's sin. And Jonah needs to repent and to look to God. But that's not what he does. Jonah, in chapter 4, it is really, it's unbelievable. This whole great thing has happened in chapter 3. He's exceedingly displeased. And he says to God, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. If you're going to let these Ninevites, my enemies, the ones that I hate, the ones I think I'm better than, if you're going to let them live, I wish I'd die. That's his prejudice speaking. I'd rather me be gone. If they're not going to be gone, take me instead. I can't stand to see them live and survive and thrive in all of this. And so God responds to Jonah in three questions. Three different questions to help him figure out what's in his heart, to see the sin that's in his heart, and to lead him to repentance. Question one comes there in verse four. The Lord says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Or another version says it this way, is it right for you to be angry? It's as if God is saying to Jonah, who's right here? You and I are both seeing this, God is saying to Jonah. You, you see what's happened. You, 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 you gave the message. You saw that it was replied. You, you, you saw all the people repent. You saw the king rip off his robes and cover himself in ashes. You saw that I relented. We both have seen the same thing. We know exactly what's happened. But God says, Jonah, you see it one way, and I see it another way. It makes you angry. It makes me see it in a way that pleases me, which one of us is right? Who's right? Does it do well for you to get angry? Who's right? And the obvious answer, every time, always, is God is right. God is always right. He only does what's good. He's 100% good. We talked about earlier. He only does what's right. But we don't always do very well with that. And just like Jonah, many times when we come to that question and, and, and we hear that question, maybe not always directly from God, the way that Jonah hears it, but we hear that question, we, we, we start to see what's going on in our heart, we start to feel these things bubble up, and we know, we get that feeling, if not the question that says, does it do well for you to be angry? What's going on in your heart? 
And instead of repenting, we double down on our sin. And that's exactly what Jonah does here as well. In fact, in fact, Jonah, he, he knows that there's absolutely no response that he can give to God. God says, who's right in this, you or me? And Jonah, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't come out and say, I know I'm right, God. He knows the answer. So he just turns his back and walks away. He could have repented. He could have said, God, you're exactly right. What am I doing? Why am I feeling this way? Help me, God. But instead, turns his back and walks away. He goes out of the city. He sits in the east of the city. He makes a booth for himself there. He sits under a shade until he could... He makes a booth for himself there and he sits under it in the shade so that he could see what would become of the city. Then the Lord God appoints a plant, comes up over Jonah, so it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This is the first time in this whole book where Jonah is exceedingly glad. Jonah is exceedingly glad because of the plant. When dawn comes the next day, God appoints a worm to attack the plant and it withers. And the sun rises and God appoints a scorching east wind. And the sun beats down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asks again, doubles down, asks again, God, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And God says another question. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Or is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It's almost as if God says to Jonah, what are you really upset about? Think about it. Dive into, your, dive into your mind. Dive into your heart. Dive into your soul. What are you really mad about here? Are you really mad about a plant? God says. Because our anger, our displeasure, spirals out of control. And there are moments where, we're, where, we're, where we're, we're first we're angry with God, like Jonah, where he's, he's angry and he says, he says, God, you saved these Ninevites, and I'm, I'm mad about that. But then pretty soon you become mad about your circumstances that are around you, and then you become mad about something else that's, that's even more minor and more simple, and, and pretty soon you're, mind, you're, you're, you're angry about something that's petty, and pretty soon we're throwing our fist in the air because our shoelace breaks. And that anger builds up inside of us, and it spirals all the way down to the smallest things. And God is saying here to Jonah, it's a plant. Why are you angry about this plant? What's going on in your heart? Too often, too often we let our eyes shift from God to all the things around us and our lives become vine-centered lives instead of God-centered. Vine-focused instead of God-focused. And that's what happened with Jonah. He took his eyes off of God, began to look around him, and began to think that all these things were his, that he deserved them, that they were there for him. We take our eyes off the creator, we begin to celebrate the creation. And we don't see what's going on in our heart. God says, do you do well to be angry about this plant? In verse 9, 
And Jonah's response, again, unbelievably, Jonah's response is, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. I don't want to look at what's going on in my heart. I just want to end this. It's how he started, remember at the beginning? Throw me overboard so that I can die rather than go to Nineveh. Rather than turn the boat around. And now here he's saying, just finish me off. But God has one more question. And it's the way the book ends. The Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You did not make it grow. Came into being over a night. It perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And that's the end of the story. He says, God says, shouldn't I pity Nineveh? Should I not do that? Should I not, can I not care about whomever, whatever I want? He says to Jonah, you loved this plant. You loved this plant so much that you are are angry and want to die over it. And the inference is, I love, I love my creation, God says. I love these people. Shouldn't you love what I love, is what God is saying to Jonah. Shouldn't you love what I love? There's some differences in commentators about what this exact last verse means. But one commentator that I read, I actually read this in a couple of different places, but it was helpful for me. This, this last passage where it says, uh, in this great city there's, there's more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left. Some commentators say that that means that they're so lost in their sin that they cannot see, they cannot understand any decision. They cannot make a difference between the right and the left. They're so lost in their sin. But there's some other commentators, a couple different commentators that said this phrase probably meant to Jonah that they are so young they do not know their right hand from their left. They're so young that they haven't gotten that knowledge yet. And it's almost as if God is saying to Jonah, I know you hate the Ninevites. I know you hate all those adults who are your enemies. But can't you at least love the children and the cattle? Can't you at least see the things that I've created and made that they haven't They haven't rebelled against Israel. Couldn't you love them? Don't you love my creation? The things that I have loved? Don't you love what I love? Will you love what I love? Is the last question in the book of Jonah. And so, our final question, we've asked every chapter. What will Jonah do now? And we don't know. At the end of chapter 1, he's in the belly of a fish, and he prays. At the end of chapter 2, he's spit back out on dry land, and he responds to the second chance that God has given to him. At the end of chapter 3, he gets exceedingly displeased and angry. But at the end of chapter 4, we have no idea the end of the story.
We don't know if Jonah responds and says, God, you are so right. Forgive me. Help me to love what you love. Maybe Jonah jumps back in. He, he walks down off the, off the mountain and he walks right back into Nineveh and he begins to, to disciple the new believers that are there. Maybe Jonah dives all in, but for the first time ever in all of his life, he begins to understand the gracious and merciful God who is slow to anger and full of abounding steadfast love who relents from disaster. Maybe for the first time, Jonah begins to see who God really is. What does Jonah do now? We don't know. But the same question comes to us at the end of this series. As the worship team comes this morning, we have to answer this question for ourselves: What will we do now? Will we respond? Will we respond in the ways that we hoped Jonah would have all the way through? Will we, for, will we say things like, forgive me for those times, God, when I have run as far away as I could run from the things that you have called me to do, where I have looked for ways to escape from your commands? Respond by thanking God for the ways that he has rescued us when we were hopelessly lost, rock bottom, life fainting away, running as far as we could, hoping to die, yet being rescued and saved? Will we say that we are so grateful for the rescue, so grateful for the Savior that you have graciously provided for us, that he, he, has, he has borne the wrath that was meant for me and it was poured out on him? Will we say, now use me, Use me, God, to point to the one who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting in disaster. God, make me love what you love. Break my heart for the things that break your heart. Help me, God. Will we respond by saying, let me tell of your rescue. Let me declare your greatness. Let me point to the one who saves. Will we Respond by saying, God, let your name be seen and reflected in me. Let your renown be heard. God, work in me. Might we say, God, your passion is for your name to be declared among all the nations, everyone, and so might be my passion as well. I think that was the call he gave to Jonah. I think that's the call he gives to us. How will we respond? The worship team is going to lead us. We're going to sing about the great love of God who rescued us and made a way for us, who gives us a hope to declare his name. Please stand with me as we sing this morning. How has the sinner been forgiven? How has the rebel been made clean? 
or blinded eyes been made to see? How have the orphans been adopted? Who hated your love and ran from grace, despised and rejected all your ways? How wonderful the Father's love, the Father's love for us. God, this morning, it's easy for us to scoff at Jonah, to be amazed at how he would respond in chapter 4 of his story. But God, help us. Help us to look at our own hearts. Help us, God, to fight our sin and selfishness. Help us to long to declare that you are a gracious God and merciful, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Let that be the prayer that comes off our lips. Not, oh, please let me die. I'd rather be dead than be alive in this. But God, let us celebrate the work that you are doing, the greatness 
that you have showed to us the death and resurrection of your son, our savior, so that we might point to you. God, give us that as our calling. Give us that as our mission and let us run wholeheartedly towards it. We pray this today in your name. Amen.